Welcome to the Life in the Stocks podcast, ladies and gentlemen. My name's Matt Stocks. I'm the host, and the show features unedited, in-depth, candid conversations with a wide range of musicians, actors, comedians, and creatives. If you're not already, be sure to subscribe to Life in the Stocks on your favorite podcast platform. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and indeed all major podcast platforms. Be sure to give me a follow on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok as well, at MattStocksDJ. That way you can keep up to date with all of my live Q&A dates, my DJ performances, and of course, who's coming up on the show as well. But without further ado, let's crack on with the show, shall we? Here we go. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Round, fuck around, I fuck around. It's funny, you know, I did a chat with um, JJ French from Twisted Sister a couple of days ago. And we, there we go. Hey, you got the background going on as well. I love it. <laughs> Fancy. Yeah, we're tap tap. <laughs> yeah, I did this chat with um, with JJ French from Twisted Sister. We spoke for about ninety minutes. We had an amazing conversation. His camera was off the whole wow. time, and I just presumed <laughs> it's because he wanted it off. And we get to the end, and he's like, "Oh fuck, man! I didn't, I didn't mean to have the camera off." On you. And he turned it oh, on bummer. minutes before we said goodbye. Um, Cheers, oh. dude. Good to see you. Yeah, right on. You too. How have you been finding? I don't have a life? drink in my hand. I don't have a drink in my hand yet. Yeah. Well, there's there's always time. Yeah, it's happy hour someplace, right? It's happy hour in the UK, nine p.m. Oh yeah, it's it's way past happy hour. <laughs> <laughs> Where in the UK right. are you? I'm Birmingham based. I was born and raised right. here. Um, uh-huh. I saw you guys. I'm trying to remember the name of the venue. I saw you guys in a few years back. I did a chat with Buzz from Metal Hammer on the roof. There was like a roof on the venue. You remember the oh. club? I'm trying to think of which. I want, to, I want to say the Rainbow. Maybe it was one of. It wasn't like one of the academies or anything like that. It was quite um, a kind of like industrial, minimal kind of space. My friend Thomas, who plays oh. in a band called Goddamn was was opening up for you i think you did like a little dj set and um okay i think it was when you'd done the basses loaders record it was on that tour right so oh so we had two bass players then right yeah 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 yeah. okay um i'm trying to think of where that one was 
I should know. <laughs> now I have my to look. City. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I was born and raised here. Um, I moved to London where, you know, obviously many people go for, for this industry. But then last summer, because of everything that's been going on, I just had to pack up my things and move back home because I'm a, uh, DJ, I'm a DJ by trade. And obviously, you know, you know the score. Yeah, there's... Yeah. There yeah, ain't been any shows in a while. <laughs> yeah, it sucks. <laughs> Do you know what, so though? Big... I have thoroughly, although there's been serious lows and there's been financial strains and, uh, you know, there's been hurdles and troubles and obstacles for sure. I currently am in one of the best mental places I think I've ever been because I've had the time to, like, you know, take stock of life and think about what's important. Right. And I mean, I don't know if you've been up to any of that soul searching and self-reflection and because we've had a lot of time on our hands haven't we yeah for sure um and then well you know i mean i definitely miss playing shows and all that but then at the same time you know i get to spend all the time with my family so you know that's the plus i have two kids so how old are they now they're they're constantly home because they you know they're doing school they're in school right now <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> mass class <laughs> yeah how how, so, old, how old are you, how old are your kids now uh 12 and 15 wow so teenage age yep yeah full, yeah. you got your hands yeah, full then yeah it, i mean it's funny because um you know our daughter she's the teenager and she'll just kind of sit in the room all day with the lights off you know and we're kind of felt a little worried and it's like Oh, no, wait a minute. That's exactly what we did as teenagers, too. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, Turn that music down. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I literally have to tell her that because she's got, you know, nowadays the kids have headphones and she can't hear a damn thing I'm saying. <laughs> I'm like, hey, do you want to be like me going, huh, huh, all the time? <laughs> Give your ears a break. How are your ears after, you know, pummeling it for as long as you've been doing it? Are they all right? Are they intact? They're still there, but they're pretty shot. I say, huh, a lot, you know. <laughs> come, come again? <laughs> what? What? Yeah. I've noticed you've got your record cover behind you. And so for me, one of the best things about doing this show, beyond just getting to speak to, you know, interesting and creative people like yourself is because I'm obsessed with the research side of these, these conversations. I like to be immersed and mm -hmm. for the conversation so for me the, the best thing about doing this show is getting to to dive deep into the back catalogs of whoever it may be whether they're comedians or filmmakers or or musicians and you know i mean i didn't know about your first solo record so oh yeah not, not only did i check out the new one but i went back and listened to the fickle finger record and oh, cool. hillbilly maths is that the name of the track on that oh yeah right uh-huh that's my jam right there. An amazing oh, right record. On. Um, and then this Thanks, new man. one, the fucking, is it Shark Overdrive? Shark Overbite? Shark, yeah, Shark-like Overbite. Yeah. The kind of poppy, poppy sounding one. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, both the records have yeah. the experimental yeah. end, um, you know, that obviously people are familiar with, with, with the projects you've played in over the years. But then there is some really right. just like hooky alternative rock bangers on there, for lack of a better word. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess, I don't know. I do, I, I, I do both things and just figured that, you know, why can't I just combine them? Yeah. 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 <laughs> you know? Do you write all the lyrics as well? Yeah. I, yeah. Yes, I did. I did. 
So from what I remember. <laughs> <laughs> a man of many talents, man. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, re- I really enjoyed both of them. Um, it was it was a new exposure to me. I've obviously been, you know, familiar with your work in, in Melvin's for years, but right. the first time I delved in and, uh, you know, checked out the solo stuff. So how long have you been yeah, writing right songs? On. Have you been writing in the Melvin since like day one? Have you always had a little bit of a hand in that? Barely. Um, you know, Buzz is the main songwriter. And I mean, he's got so many songs always that, that you know, I easy for me to just concentrate on the drums. That That's a job, big job in itself. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, know? yeah. Um, and Buzz is a great songwriter. So, but occasionally it'll happen. Um, the bit was co-written. There's a few that I've written myself. And then there's actually a couple of songs it's very rare that we co-write songs together at least like you know me playing guitar or showing you know showing buzz something on guitar you know (laughs) but the bit was uh my song and then he arranged it and wrote lyrics and then there's also a new melvin's record out uh, yeah which is um, which is also amazing um i'm a huge do what frank frank zappa when he does the do what um Obviously, I love the Beach Boys because who doesn't? And yeah, right. I love it when you guys again mix that sort of bubblegum pop element with obviously your unique sense of humor um, with the low ends, you know, Melvin's Rumble. An amazing album, an amazing record, like classic Melvin's. Um, Do you enjoy playing bass as much as playing drums? Do you enjoy it more? Is it the same? Um, It's different, I guess. I mean, you know, I know it's not my forte, but you know, it's it's you know basically just having some fun really but you're I mean, on you're always... on base on this new record right and yeah you're, yeah you're on base on the is it trez what was the last one the three of you did the 83 lineup it was a couple of records ago uh trace cabrones that's the one is what it was called so that, yeah. that was the first time uh, you three kind of reconnected and recorded was it sort of yeah pretty much i mean how that whole thing came about was um uh jello biafra was having a, his 50th birthday party and um, he had also uh, his label alternative pentacles yep. had released vinyl versions of uh, um, of the early melvin's demos with uh, mike dillard on drums and matt lucan playing bass and um you know matt probably wouldn't be playing with the band anymore but um mike has been a friend for a long time and and so we got back together with him and me on bass and uh, did those shows and when we were rehearsing for those shows we were just kind of i think buzz was just like sort of half jokingly saying oh we should just write new songs <laughs> with this lineup you know ha 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 and then we ended up doing it well one thing i've noticed <laughs> from the outside looking in with the melvins is i imagine you're the kind of band tell me whether or not i'm right or wrong whoever you jam with if you just invite someone over for an afternoon to play some songs just to mess around it seems like there's a record that always comes out of those like jam sessions every <laughs> yeah. time. There's a new, there's a new lineup. There's a new version of the band. There's a new album. Like just the prolific productivity of the band has always been inspiring to me. Yeah. Well, that is how some of that stuff happened too. You know, I think even us playing with Steve McDonald now was, was kind of like, Oh, want to come over and jam. And then, Oh, let's record some songs, you know, and, um, but then we've also purposely done stuff like, you know, invited bands that we like to come and, and try to make music with us, you know. Um, I guess, well, it's been a year now, but about a year ago, we had the guys from Mudhoney come down to Los Angeles and nice. write some songs and record with us and play a few covers as well. Um, and that, yeah, 
we were hoping to do more of that, but you know, since since the pandemic happened, we haven't been able to do it. Uh, but there's an EP that came out of that stuff. It's pretty cool. Um, I mean, yeah, that's that's like a lot that. of history right there, there as well. The new Melvins record. Yeah, a, yeah, I know. <laughs> I mean, so it was fun. I mean, and funny enough, it sounded just like Melvins and Mudhoney playing together. <laughs> yeah. Well, w- what was the year? Did you start Melvin's in 83? Was that when the band first formed? Yes. Yes. That's when the band formed. Uh, I, I Obviously the second drummer. But I did see them in 83 for the first time. So I kind of know, you know, I know the story. You know, and yeah, with Mike Dillard, it's it's like whenever we, we hang out with them, you know, it's like one of those guys where, you know, there might be a year or two that goes by when you haven't seen them. But then once you get back together, it's like nothing's really, you know, nothing's changed no time's gone by at all you pick up right where you left off you know um i think all the best friendships are like that yeah and i mean just even hanging out with him it's like yeah he just feels like same sense of humor you know he's he's really he's he's definitely a melvin that's for sure he's a lifer yeah (laughs) how did you first meet we forced him into it (laughs) (laughs) how did you first meet buzz and what was your first impression of Buzz? I love Buzz. I've had him on the show. He's one of my oh, favorite yeah, right. people. He's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Uh, at our first meeting, well, I mean, I don't even know if we really met, but um, there's, uh, uh, I told this story a bunch, but uh, there, the first time I saw the Melvins was on this radio show, local radio show. Um, uh, the radio station was doing this, this uh, live show from the Elks Hall in Aberdeen, Washington. And it was a benefit radio show and anybody could come down and, and perform. And so I was at the time playing in uh, my high school cover band and we decided it would be fun to go down there and play on the radio. You know, we had nothing going on. It was around Christmas time. So it was like a, you know, like a benefit show or whatever. And when we get there, there's this band playing and we didn't know who they were. Uh, the area that we came from is pretty small. So we kind of knew everybody in every band. These guys were from 10 miles away uh, in Montesano, Washington. And um, anyway, you know, I I was really into like heavy metal stuff at the time, more like new wave of British heavy heavy metal stuff like Motorhead and, you know, Iron Maiden. So, and I'd never really seen a punk rock band before, but I could tell these guys were a punk rock band. But to me, that's what, you know, that's what they sounded like. It's like Motorhead, Motorhead versus mixed with the Ramones. And uh, they they would play really short songs at really fast and not stop in between. And the, the radio broadcaster would try to get a couple words in, and then they'd just start the next song. What are they and blast through it? And um, you know, we were just like blown away. You know, what is this like, what? kind of thing? Yeah, yeah, right, right. You know, um, I don't know how much my bandmates really dug it because uh, they weren't into the same stuff as me, but I could tell there was something there. And then I saw him play again. We kind of talked to him a little bit, out, you know, like as we're about to play or whatever. Oh, and what we didn't realize is that they showed up before us and realized that there wasn't a PA system there. And they went back home and got theirs and brought it. So Amazing. when when my band got up to uh, uh, perform, all we had was the radio broadcast mic for our singer to sing in. And he couldn't hear a thing. And he was just wailing into the microphone oh <laughs> it sounded horrible <laughs> um and then i saw them about 
uh, four months later, opening up for uh, this other band from Aberdeen called Metal Church. I don't know if you're aware of who those guys are. Yeah, um, I'm kind of immersed in the Seattle history at the moment because I'm okay. reading I'm reading a book by Barrett Martin, who I presume you know and and go back. Oh, with. from Screaming Trees. Yeah, so he's oh, he's wow. got he's got two that. books out. Um, I didn't know no, I didn't again that. part of the research for the podcasting, which I love. He's got two books sure. out about traveling the world and learning different percussive techniques and, and you know oh, wow. di- different approaches to playing the drums from africa to asia to australia and he obviously begins the story in seattle so that's kind of where the story begins and so i'm that's exactly where my headspace has been for the last couple of days is <laughs> is right there in that time so yeah right so you come you come across the metal church guys yeah yeah so they played it they played opening for that those guys and then um um Oh, also, uh, part of the story is uh, Chris Novoselic from Nirvana. Um, he went to my high school, and he had told me that he had joined the Melvins. And I was like, oh, really? And so he was going to be playing at this show, which he did. He only came out and played one song at the very end of their set. <laughs> right. So I don't know if he, you know, he joined them on stage, but he, he presented it to me more like he was joining the band. They really have had a lot of bass players over the years, haven't they? <laughs> yeah. Well, he was he was a guitar player actually. Right. Back right. Then. Right. You know, he got for, he got forced over to bass. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, but anyway, you know, and I remember talking to them a little bit at a party after that show, but it was maybe a couple months after that that Nova Selich brought the two guys over to my house, Buzz and Matt, and they were telling me that they were looking for a drummer. And they'd see me play, obviously, with with my other band and and uh, just your covers, just, just the covers band you're in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You must have been good yeah. then, if they're like he's doing covers. But, but he's yeah, good. right. I think they'd also seen us play at like some kind of high school dance or whatever. Right. And um, you know, I think Buzz now says like, yeah, I remember thinking like, yeah, no, no I don't like the band that much, but the drummer's good. Yeah. <laughs> I used to wear glasses too, and like when I played, like I, I, you know, my glasses would slip down on my nose, so I'd be doing this all the time. <laughs> got really good at that, and I think that's, that's kind of how I got the gig. That's the kind of guy we need. <laughs> that, that, if that, you know, that guy could really multitask. That that desk, that dexterity right there. <laughs> right. Yeah. So Aberdeen was it a tiny, tiny place? Was it? Was it like a village? Yeah, pretty much. Eighteen thousand people. You know, it was a city, but it was you know, a city. Um, it was a city, but it was not that big of a city, and there was nothing going on there. It was a logging town, and the logging industry had, had pretty much dried up in the 70s there. So there was a lot of nothing going on. <laughs> you know, and there was there wasn't places, there wasn't really places for us to play. You know, that one gig or one or two gigs, that was really it. Nothing happened around there. There was no nobody trying to like put on shows or anything like that. But I mean, to me, it didn't matter because um Joining the band, I knew that those guys were already playing, at, like in going up to Seattle and playing gigs or Olympia, which is you know the capital of Washington. Yeah. Um, so it was like that was more appealing than trying to play any kind of hometown gig, anyway. <laughs> you know. It's super interesting. In in Barrett's book, he kind of speculates as to why all those bands came out of that area at that time, and I'd love to get your take. But his sort of reasoning and and rationale was. Part of it was the weather and it was yeah. always cold. It was always wet. So people spent a lot of time hunkered down indoors, jamming, rehearsing. And then the exactly. other thing he said was, as you mentioned, the kind of the economic um, 
environment and how little work there was and how little you know kind of industry was going on so a lot of people were very blue collar and, and the music reflected that you know obviously you've got la was kind of had the, the hippie more yeah chill bro kind of vibe going on new york you've got that kind yeah. of hipster yeah. art school but he said places exactly. like detroit seattle it's more blue collar almost bar band but like really good bar bands yeah that, i'd say that's exactly right you know the weather is a big one and i mean well there was stuff going on in seattle and olympia but in aberdeen there was nothing so that is literally all we did was practice you know i was 17 in high school and i'd get home from school and those guys would be there waiting for me every day you know did i mean didn't even matter if we had gigs like i mean we might have a gig like a couple months down the road but we would just like constantly play and try to get better and and constantly write new songs and and just you know yeah otherwise we'd just be out causing trouble uh, mm -hmm. being up to no good yeah <laughs> yeah and it was our way to escape you know it was our way out of there was that always on the cards for i mean from the melvin's point of view with buzz steering the ship was he somebody that was driven to get out and music was the way do you think yeah i mean I'm surprised it took as long as it did, <laughs> you know, um, that or that even I, I'm surprised that he, thinking about it now that he would even stick around there because, you know, he was by the time I joined the band, he and Matt were already 20 and could easily get out of the house, you know, leave and go go do whatever. Um, but it didn't. How, how it really old were you now? 16, 17. Right. Um, I was 16, going on 17 when I joined the band. So, <laughs> as the um, song says. <laughs> so, I guess I never thought about this, but maybe it was because of me that they stuck around. Um, and then eventually, you know, yeah, eventually things did kind of fall apart with uh, working with our bass player. And Buzz ended up moving to San Francisco. And I was like, I'll, I'll go. I got, you know, let's continue this band or let's start something else or whatever. Let's continue playing music. So you followed him out there, did you? Or down there? Pretty much. Yeah. yeah. Yep. And then we basically started all over again. It's interesting because obviously at that point in time, I guess, was when Seattle was becoming that musical cultural hotspot that the world then it, discovered. It was. I mean, it was, but it wasn't like. Well, in Seattle during the mid 80s, there there was a lack of shows because a lack, especially a lack of all ages shows because um, there was some trouble with a teen nightclub. I can't remember exactly what it was. It was like drugs or somebody got, you know, stabbed or something like that happened that was bad. And so the city of Seattle banned all, all teen dance clubs or any all ages shows. So there was um, a great venue that we used to play all the time called the Gorilla Gardens. And that, that pretty much got killed because of that. So that moved a lot of bands into bars, but I wasn't old enough to be in a bar, you know. So the deal was is that you had to play and you couldn't be in the bar unless you were playing and then you had to get out immediately. You know, so there were a lot of shows got moved down to Tacoma, Washington. There was a couple places down there um, that were big. But um, about 1988, which is when we left, you know, it, there just wasn't much, you know, I mean, we, we were still playing shows and, you know, maybe making a hundred bucks. So it wasn't like we were leaving something that we thought was going to be some lucrative 
deal. And yeah. we'd already been down to San Francisco making our first record and liked it and thought, you know, thought that that would be cool. Um, even us moving away, it didn't seem to matter because people still consider us a Northwest band. Yeah. <laughs> even now, I mean, you know, <laughs> We've, we've been here for for, for um, 30 years, you know, in California. Since the 90s, right? Um, you know, uh, 80s, you know, since 80, 88 is when I moved to San Francisco. And, um, but yeah, doesn't seem to matter. So now we basically have three hometowns, almost four, you know, it's like <laughs> Seattle and San Francisco and the, um, Los Angeles. And then also Portland kind of claims this because, you know, we're close enough. Nice. Well, hometown <laughs> shows are cool as well. There's a special quality in the air whenever you play a hometown show. I found that from Birmingham. Yeah. Whenever the tour rolls through town and I'm DJing with bands, I'm, I'm like, yeah, I, I actually got to play in Birmingham on the 50th anniversary of the debut Black Sabbath record, opening up for, oh, Zach, nice. opening up for Zach Sabbath, which is Zach Wilde, Joey nice. Castillo on oh, drums yeah. and Blasco on bass doing right. Sabbath songs. And it was, yeah, it was 50 years to the day since the record came out in obviously oh, wow. the home of Sabbath, my hometown. That was a special night. And I was like, fuck That's yeah, right. it's good to be from Birmingham for once. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, you guys have great bands, you know, Zeppelin and then Judas Priest, man. Hell yeah. My and, favorite. And Diamond metal, Head. Right yeah. there, Judas, Judas Priest. Have you oh, read Rob Hal- Diamond Head? Oh, yeah. Stourbridge, um, which is where, yeah, okay. Robert, where Robert Plant's from. Oh, okay. Right. Yeah. Did you see you're just going to mention something about Halford's book? So good. Were you? So yeah. It's, it's I got a... it. I'm in the middle of reading it. <laughs> right now? <laughs> yeah. Pretty much. Yeah. I won't, yeah. I won't say anything other than okay. it is, it's powerful stuff. I had him on the show and he's just, I mean, oh, I'm, awesome. I'm presuming you go back with him and, and you've had interactions with him, but he's just the loveliest, sweetest, down to earth, most down to earth dude. He's amazing. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I've never, I haven't met him. Buzz talked to him on the phone not that long ago. He actually got to interview him <laughs> about the book. Amazing. And uh, so that was cool. But, um, you know, we've always said that Unleashed in the East is the best heavy metal record ever, you know. I mean, my favorite, you know, I mean, you know, it's hard to leave out Sabbath, of course, but just that one for me, it was the right time, right, you know, like, like I remember the first time hearing Judas Priest growing up like a kiss fan that was like a, the obvious like next step was like judas priest you know heavier scarier <laughs> and um and i still love that record yeah i've um, noticed oh and napalm death of course they're from there well so barney's a friend of mine barney greenway and the other day i just spoke to mick harris the drummer on scum and you know i guess what people consider the godfather of the oh, blast, right the blast beat style um they're yeah, proper right. local <laughs> heroes napalm death are real hometown heroes in birmingham and, and they all still live around here which is rare because most people yeah. get out <laughs> <laughs> right you know aussie's obviously long gone i think rob halford still comes and stays in warsaw from time to time but he's obviously in in arizona for most of the time right. tony iomi still yeah. lives around here he, um, he, oh, used wow. to, he used to frequent the pub that I used to work at as a kid. So I'd be waiting the tables and I'd see Tony Iommi would be there with his family having dinner. I'd be like, fucking so cool. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah, noticed there, awesome. Dale, you've got Gene Simmons on your shirt. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's a, well, it's, it's a take on, uh, um, on uh, 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 what's then, um, 
the black metal band. I'm blanking on their name right now. Um, uh, uh, um, uh, I'm gonna get I'm gonna get killed by the black metal community here for forgetting their names. <laughs> Mayhem um, Emperor. Um, recognize that? If I could cover it. Like, no, no, I'm not a massive no, uh, black metal uh, uh, aficionado. It's right on the tip of my tongue, and I can't think of it. <laughs> <laughs> I just had Jonas Ackland well, somebody on gave the, me the show, shirt, actually, and it was a take. It was a take on that. I just had Jonas so Ackland sure on the is. show. Did you? Did, uh, he directed that Lords of Chaos movie, which is about the whole Swedish black metal. Oh, okay. Scene. Okay, right. Gotcha. Um, he'd know. Nice. <laughs> but for me, right. let's let's talk uh, about Gene I'm, Simmons. I'm gonna remember it when we hang up. <laughs> let's talk about oh, Gene sure. Simmons because I again, I, so. Tell me what you think of this analogy. Buzz and Buzz and Gene, on paper, very perhaps different individuals. One represents truly alternative culture, the other perhaps is Mr. Corporate Commercial Rock. But I see a lot of similarities with those two from the little times I've spent with them both in similar kind of sense of humor, both very unashamedly themselves, outspoken, opinionated, but just like the best dudes i love them both and i think they get sometimes a bit of a bad rep in the press because they just speak their minds and a lot of people don't yeah. like that i love gene right. i think he's absolutely amazing gene, gene's been nothing but nice to us you know like ever since we met him you know um i met him actually at a at a record signing um but we'd already kind of been in contact because um we were we were sort of asked to do a song for their their kiss my ass tribute record yeah <laughs> is that how did. going blind came about yeah yeah exactly i mean we'd always covered that song and and you know like ever since i joined the melvins like we're we're always we always still like kiss you know um you know even though at the time it was like you know completely unhip to to fly the kiss flag you know we were bands like red cross were and um so now I think those guys kind of became aware of that, you know, that, that, that we, you know, yeah, we grew up with you guys and we love that. And, um, and I think that, um, well, I know that uh, when we were on Atlantic Records, we had a product manager that worked for us and she used to be their publicist. Right. And she made those guys aware of us doing like the solo records with the, the you yeah, know, yeah, the, yeah. The, the copycat kiss yeah. covers. And, uh, um, and so, they knew that. So anyway, I, I met Gene at this record signing, and, I, and I, when I met him, I handed him a tape of us doing Going Blind, and, he, and told him who I was. And he's like, "Oh!" And he gets up out of his chair and shakes my hands, and he's like, tells the other guys in the band, "Hey, this is the drummer from the Melvins," and he just gave me a tape of Going Blind. And, you know, it was just like, you know, totally, totally nice. And um, you know, we we didn't get uh, pitched for it. You know, he, he actually called me and left. I, I'm bummed I didn't answer the phone, but I had this uh, voice message from Gene, and I was like, "Hey, this is Gene Simmons from Kiss, and just wanted to let you know that I listened to your version of Going Blind. I thought something was wrong with the tape at first because it was really slow, you know. And, and um, but you know, I just want to let you know we've gotten all these all these submissions for this. I'm not sure if it's going to get picked or not, but I just wanted to say how much we really appreciated it, and, and you know, that was it. Um, and so I think <laughs> I think maybe one of us uh, said something in the press about like, oh, they didn't really like our track, you know, well, whatever. And then, of course, he heard that and called up. He's like, I, you know, that 
really not the case. And, and uh, you know, I see that you guys are playing in town pretty soon with Primus. And, and how about if I come down and, and, and play with you guys and we'll play Want to play going vines live? <laughs> We're like, sure. <laughs> so he came down, and um, that, that was awesome. You know, he brought his bass down, and and um, he had a roadie take care of his bass, and and we opened up the case, and there was like a big giant pack of Kiss guitar picks in there. Close. And so we hung him up on the mic stand before he came out. You know, and what happened is his bass got locked in the dressing room, and nobody had the key, and we're sitting on stage waiting for him to come out. We're like. The fuck is he you know because he's like he's like you know you don't have to make some big announcement about me coming out i'll just walk out there and we'll just do it you know and so we're waiting for him little did we know that he's like they're telling him to like kick the door into the dressing room if you go on if you go on youtube you can find uh you know if you look for kiss gene simmons plays with the balvins you might see where he's like trying to kick the door to the dressing room in <laughs> um but uh, uh incredible so anyway yeah see he comes out there finally he goes up to the mic stand and he looks at the guitar picks and he's like, who's are these? I'm like, your name's on them? They're yours? <laughs> oh, he grabs them and starts throwing them out in the audience, you know? Um, he's so great. You know, and then from there, yeah, from there we got to, uh, uh, we got to open up for Kiss when they did their, uh, their reunion tour, their first, uh, first time putting the makeup back on. Oh, wow. So, and that must again, have been a cool run. Even on that tour. Yeah, Gene, Gene would come into our dressing room dressed in full makeup, ready to go on stage. How are they treating you in here? Oh, looks like they're treating you like kings. Yeah. Um, it, I even saw Gene not that long ago, and, you know, he's always been nice. Oh, and he also, it was even he did an interview for the uh, Melvin's documentary. Wow. You know, and all the, stuff, all the stuff that he said about us, I felt was right on. And, I mean, he understands what's going on. He's not a dumb guy. People yeah. always give him shit. There's something I saw recently. Um, where he was talking about, um, and it, you know, it was one of somebody like that was putting a headline out there to kind of like you know, uh, 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 what do you it. call that? Bait, right? And so it was like Gene Simmons says that St Rolling Stones guitar player is a better bass player. You know, <laughs> it's like actually what he was talking about was talking about Ron Wood playing bass on the Jeff Beck records, and his bass playing is fucking awesome and gene was really into his bass play that's why he says says that you know or um something about how he also thought that they were like you know in a way better than led zeppelin and it's like well if you know about the jeff Beck group and and where they came from zeppelin totally copied those guys you know down to the singer down to the even the songs that they were playing you know Zeppelin started playing some of the same songs Jeff Beck were already doing live. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, but, you know. Yeah, he knows his music history, yeah, doesn't he, Gene? He, he's a student of music and he's totally. not, as you say, as as uh, clueless as people think that he is. I think he just puts up that character because he's a bit of a comedian and he's he's, yeah. he's on the wind up a lot. Oh, and totally. I love that about him. If you connect with him on that level, totally. then you, there's all kinds of fun to be had. <laughs> yeah but he's he's the real deal he's sincere yeah, isn't he? i know it, i mean exactly you know and and i think probably still a big music fan as well you yeah know? big time yeah loves the beatles uh but yeah it's it's easy i guess it's easy to it, it, it's easy to get on those guys you know yeah um but you know we spent uh <laughs> we've listened to their books on tape on tour both his and paul's pretty pretty funny with them entertaining with them reading it. yes 
Amazing. I've got to hear yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what was um what was Chris Novoselic's deal there? Was was he a similar kind of driven figure like Buzz? You're saying he was kind of instrumental in getting you in, in the Melvins. Was he somebody on the scene that was driven to create and get out of there and do it? Mm, I'm not sure. I mean, those guys knew him from the, the, he was like the big weird guy working at Taco Bell in that. He is tall, <laughs> you know, that had massive. interest in music or whatever. Yeah, right. He was kind of, I mean, he was like uh, a really funny guy. He was um, kind of the class clown in school, I guess you'd say. Were you in you the know? same year um, or just the same? No, he was, he was a couple of years older than me. But um, how I knew him from to begin with is he had a brother that was in the same grade as me. And um, I, I, so that's how I knew him. And then eventually met him in high school or in the same same school though he was yeah. older but um you know he played music and stuff like that but it wasn't until i think uh um you know cobain started playing music and was looking for people to play with you know um, I, I i know that um <laughs> there's that uh there's this museum in seattle called the, the mopop museum and they have a it's like a, a Seattle music history museum, sort of. And there's like a big Nirvana exhibit in there. And there's an, actually a letter that Buzz had written to Chris had moved away for a while to Arizona. I can't, I cannot remember why he would move away to Arizona. <laughs> but anyway, uh, in this letter, Buzz says to him something about uh, uh, Kurt having these songs and them being pretty good and that he was looking for people to play with. So. He heard the tape and then started playing with the men. Yeah, and I guess you witnessed that band from from the ground up evolve. And and weren't you weren't you in Nirvana in the early years as well? Did you do the oh. demos with him? Well, the tape that he's talking about is one that I went and recorded with him at his aunt's house on her uh, four track reel for real. So yeah, yeah, I was uh, involved in in um, um, that and also playing on their very first demo. Was that produced by Jack? It, yes. Yeah, and those songs ended up on some of them on Bleach, um, and the majority of them on Incesticide, and then the rest of them on the box set. Um, Barrett talks a lot in his book about Jack Endino. Is, is that how you pronounce his surname? Yep. Yeah. Yep. And, and he says he was really like the guy who was so instrumental in shaping that, if you want to call it Seattle sounds. Um, what was he like to work with as a you know producer and an engineer? Was he a creative, hands-on, switched-on? good dude to work with that stuff that we did was so so was so quick you know like the the demo i did with them we recorded in like six hours so oh, it was wow. just like, get in there and go yeah yeah but, yeah but you know um uh i think that we already knew i mean i already knew him uh cobain is the one that booked the session and he had called up i think uh, he called up reciprocal studios probably because yeah Soundgarden had already recorded there. Their first EP was out and was kind of, uh, um, you know, getting some attention. And I think picking that studio because they would be familiar with, with the kind of music that, uh, you know, that we were playing. Um, and so Jack booked it because he, because Kurt called and said that I was playing drums. And so he's like, oh, well that sounds really cool. And so um, we went and recorded those songs and, um, Jack's a really good engineer. Um, and yeah, it was like done just 
bam, bam, we're out the door. <laughs> Went and played a gig that night. <laughs> what, literally so, you did the you did the demo yeah, in the day and then that night you went and played a show amazing yeah we did was that yeah. your only one time playing live with them and then was that around <laughs> so the time you, really quickly you shipped out to san francisco was that around that time that would have been right before it would have been right before i left to, to for san francisco um but then i played with them again after it was after bleach had been out and they um they had fired chad and then immediately after that, I had got offered a tour with Sonic Youth. So I ended up filling in for that tour. Oh, wow. I think that might have been all I did. <laughs> yeah. Did you see on that tour the momentum around them growing, or was that still before the, the big? They were definitely getting courted by major labels at that point. You know, um, and Sonic Youth, too, I think was, um, they were a big part of them going with uh, DGC, because, you know, at the time, uh, Sonic Youth had that record Goo, yeah, had just come out, and they, you know, they they were starting to do pretty good. You know, they were selling like what we consider to be punk rock platinum. You know, like yeah, yeah, they had yeah. sold like a hundred thousand records at that point, which we were just like, wow, that's really, you know, that was that was like big time. That's like you as know? big as it and gets remember, when you're doing it at that level, yeah. You know, talking with those guys, thinking like, totally. You know, I mean we were playing i mean you know we were playing pretty big like theaters with those guys so just the west coast but um you know yeah i remember just thinking like you, you know this is a really good timing if, if people are interested in this kind of music you know you guys might even sell a couple hundred thousand <laughs> yeah and it's selling quite a few million <laughs> yeah What's your take on fame, Dale? Do you think fame spoils and ruins creativity and personality and happiness? And uh, it, I suppose it can. Um, um, yeah, I, I, you know, I mean, obviously, seeing seeing what happened with those guys, you know, like I, I wouldn't want that to happen. Um, you know, I don't. I think that they expected that they would do pretty good, but then to all of a sudden just to be like, you know, on MTV. 24 hours a day i was just i'm sure it was, was pretty weird you know um and i don't know i mean you know um well what can i say I'll, it all ended badly and and all seemed to become sort of a cliche you know yeah. Every, everything about what was happening with those guys you know? yeah um i'm glad i wasn't in that situation you know um, though, though we were really close to it you know i feel badly for for uh, uh you know for chris and dave you know for what happened you know yeah and i mean that so many of those other bands from that area there's so many casualties so many people didn't make it out and when you left did you have a sense of relief that you were leaving a certain element behind as in because it wasn't seattle pretty awash with heroin and hardcore drugs at that time <laughs> or, or was that nationwide was san francisco the same oh i'm sure you could find that Oh, San Francisco had just as much, I'm sure. You know, any port town is going to have a ton of that stuff. But yeah, I mean, Seattle definitely became pretty dark and whatever. So, and that was never a scene I knew, you know. So I, I always stayed away from that stuff. So thankfully, you know, might, I might end up being right there with them. You know, that, that, would be, that wouldn't be good. <laughs> um, how was your major label experience you did the three records with atlantic um all great albums i think a lot of the time Thanks, when, band, yeah. when bands like you guys do sign with the major concessions are made they perhaps lose certain 
elements that make the band special in the first place perhaps the spirit is diluted but you guys definitely didn't succumb to that those three records no. stand up today but was it a positive experience being inside that machine or or how was it for you yeah well you know it's funny because i mean they didn't you know they told us that bands will come to them and tell them what do we need to do to be big what do we got to do what are we gonna how do we gotta how do we sell it out you know and we're willing you know, and able yeah <laughs> exactly exactly you know th so the bands want to do that they want to be a big star they want to sell millions of records and have all that you know uh, have uh, big giant cocaine parties and whatnot you know <laughs> um, again cliche right right but um you know we uh, uh we got signed pretty much because um um well, I mean, certainly because of the Nirvana guys is why there was any interest in us, you know, or, or you know, Seattle sound, Seattle, uh, what was happening in, in, to begin with. Um, but with Atlantic, I mean, they were completely realistic about everything, you know, they're like, you know, we know you guys aren't, aren't going to change, <laughs> you know, um, <laughs> and you've already, you're, you already are established you know, you've already been making this work, you know, this isn't your first record. Um, you know, we'll, we'll give you so much money and let you do whatever you want. You know, we, we also, by having you guys, it's going to make us look good. You know, if you guys are with us, bands will want to sign. You know? Right. So, yeah. So then they can get three more Nirvanas. much did everything. Maybe. Yeah. I mean, you know, they don't know. They have, I don't think they have any idea of what's going to sell, you know? I mean, Atlantic had Hootie the Blowfish, Kid Rock, and the Melvins, you know? It's like, <laughs> wow. <you know? laughs> but we we're on the same label as Aretha Franklin and Led Zeppelin, so we yeah. thought that was cool. <laughs> yeah. You know? Uh, but, yeah, I mean, they pretty much let us do what we wanted to. We didn't think that we would get three records out of it because every record, the money would go up. Um we outlasted pretty much everybody that was there when we signed as far as like the management, you know, like our A&R guy was gone. The vice president was gone. Um, hardly anybody was there anymore. So by the time we did our third record stag, people were just kind of like, well, uh, what, what, we don't know what this is, you know? <laughs> yeah. So, but you know, we were always realistic about the fact that it's weird that we're doing this to begin with. We know this is an odd thing. Once this doesn't work out, we'll just go back to doing what we were doing before, you know, because <laughs> we're love, already making it kind of work. I love that. So few bands have that foresight, don't they? They just think I need to get signed, become successful, and then that's it. Then I made it. Whereas I think you guys have always just felt, you know, if we just keep doing what we do, oh yeah, you're just a solid, you know, long game, artistic, right. interesting band, aren't you? Let's just keep put, putting so out many... quality records, and that will last you know as long as we can play right well so many bands too would get to that point or they get on a major label it wouldn't work out they'd get dropped and then they would just go well i that's it you know i quit it's over. or whatever yeah. it would just ruin them you know so i guess yeah we were just we always try to keep our heads about that and just know like you know we were already we already weren't working day jobs and we're already kind of making it work you know, if we're just smart, we can go back, you know, well, we should be able to do this. So it's worked out so far. And what it continues to do, and, and every couple of years you guys put out always something unpredictably great. 
And I, I always <laughs> I always await a new Melvin's release with anticipation and, and it's never what you'd expect. It's never like, oh yeah, of course they were going to do this next. And and I think <laughs> I think people love that because there's so few bands nowadays that are spontaneous and unpredictable. And do you know what I mean? There's so much of that right. greatness of what was alternative culture to begin with. Obviously, alternative got co-opted by the mainstream and then it's no longer alternative, it's just bland and you know monotonous right. but that school of creativity and diy thinking you guys have maintained that all along and it's just about making interesting music isn't it yeah yeah it's kind of simple <laughs> when you boil it down yeah make it interesting make it you know uh you know yeah i guess we never wanted to be like a regular band whatever that is you know stands out more if you're weird you know yeah and it's not hard i mean it's not hard for us to to do that <laughs> you know just by being yourselves you're different yeah exactly <laughs> millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from noom like evan who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds salads generally for most people are the easy button right for me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. <laughs> How did you first meet Adam Jones? What's the friendship and history there? um we first met him playing a show with tool um we were playing i can't remember who we were playing with I, almost seems like it was like somebody like guar or somebody like that <laughs> at, at the, the palladium in los angeles Amazing. um he later claimed that i was standoffish and not nice to him which i was kind of like you sure that was me Maybe something was going on. That doesn't sound like like I would be mean to somebody. Not not you know, who knows, you know. Um, but anyway, you know. <laughs> since then, um, yeah, we've done a lot of touring with those guys, um, and then also some recording and playing here and there too. I haven't seen him in a long time. Miss him, you know. Yeah, <laughs> he's been, been a on a years he's now. been on a bunch of your records over the years. And was it so? Was it tall? that helped you guys sort of piggyback onto the Ozfest in 98. Oh, totally. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, exactly. 
those guys, those guys uh, kind of insisted that we play. <laughs> they, they wanted to pick one band to take with them on the tour. And I think Ozfest really wanted them. I mean, they were kind of the headliner. So they're like, okay. And, um, and so we got to go and they were super nice about, I mean, they took us on their bus even, well, their crew bus, but you know, still they're like, travel with us. We'll, you will, we'll, uh, we'll carry all your gear as well. And, you know, come on the whole thing. It'll be fun. And so that's what we did. And it was, <laughs> we got to see Motorhead every day too. And that was, that was pretty cool. I just spoke to Phil Campbell the other day. Love Motorhead. Oh, How right on. Know? Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah, it was How, fun watching those guys play every day. How was that year? Because you got Motorhead, you got Tool, you got Melvins, you've got then all the new metal like Cold Chamber, Limp Biscuit. Biscuit stuff. It was a pretty broad church of of heavy sounds. Was was everybody into all of it, or what was the deal? Was there like a bit of a noticeable divide and disconnect? What was your experience of playing suppose, in the crowd? Well, I suppose that we were probably the odd man. We we're, were we were the oddballs for sure. You know, um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, um, it was weird. You know, we found out that a lot of the bands that were on the second stage where we were actually weren't getting paid, you know? Well, they and bought their that way on. Well, it was later that they had to buy their way on, but this one was come and play for free, you know? For the exposure. Um, right. And I suppose <laughs> it worked because, because like on our stage, there was System of a Down, uh, Incubus, uh, which both went on to be really huge bands. So Gigantic bands, um, yeah. Yeah, and I think that, you know, the powers to be behind Ozfest felt like, oh, well, that's part of our doing. So, you know, we should be charging bands to get on the bill. So, you know, and like I said, we were there because of Tool, you know. I like Ozzy, I like Sabbath and all that stuff. Um, but, but you know, he's not running the show. <laughs> no. We did all you, know that. Did you see, that was the year, right, that Limp Biscuit did the toilet stuff? Was that when that was happening? yeah did you right. did you did you witness right. that what was your take on that <laughs> uh i don't know silly <laughs> <laughs> they put britney spears in the toilet and flushed her down and stuff like that you know? so <laughs> I, I i don't know you know we kind of i guess we kind of thought it was kind of goofy frat boy type of stuff yeah yeah know? i mean <laughs> i missed the 90s so much even the more ridiculous end of it it was it was every band was different back then you know, even the bands that fell into the sort of, if you want to call it new metal subgenre, at least they were right. all different as well. You know, System of a Down didn't really sound too much like Corn, And, you know, and obviously then you had bands like Rage Against the Machine who were like genuinely great coming out of that scene as well. Um, a dude I'd love to talk to you about is, I guess, your, your label boss to this day, right? Are you still on Mike's label now, the Melvins? Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yep. Uh, and mate, so you first signed Indeed. after Atlantic, right? That's when you joined the label for the trilogy. Yes. Yep, that's correct. Um, you know, that's right. Also, when Phantomos formed, right, and uh, they were looking for a record deal and and couldn't find one for whatever reason. A supergroup of Mike Patton, Dave Lombardo, Buzz Osborne, and Trevor Dunn was questioned. <laughs> I don't know why somebody dropped the ball there, but because of that, they're just like, let's just start our own label. And we were looking for a label. We were going to do the same thing, start our own thing. And we're like, well, you know what? What if you guys start it? We'll, we're, we're down. 
let's you know we'd be on your label and so we were kind of the flagship for the whole thing us and phantomos and you've done every, so, have you done then, every uh, album since with, with that label the, yeah pretty much i mean there's been some weird kind of one-off things like amphetamine reptile and things like that but every pretty much official releases yeah you know oh and our first thing too is like okay um well we want to put out three records at once basically yeah. you know and they're like <laughs> okay so so like all right we know this is gonna work <laughs> amazing he seems like yeah. a really good dude mike does again someone who's very uh enigmatic figure that i think people like to oh yeah what's his right. deal what's his deal but he must just be a fucking regular dude that's man he's smart enough to know that the enigma is probably better than you know right <laughs> revealing <Yeah>. the truth <laughs> and then you get a quiet life don't you <laughs> he's a good dude yeah, what like a talent as well what a supreme talent yeah. yeah and we've uh we've really had a great long working relationship with those with epic and haven't, haven't you played on a bunch of the Peep and Tom stuff with him as well? You've drummed with him quite a bit, right? Yeah, yeah. In fact, I know there's a whole shitload of stuff I recorded that I don't know if if and when it'll ever come out. But it's there. <laughs> you know? <laughs> I mean, I, when when he was doing the Peeping Tom stuff, I easily recorded 30 songs, you know? And I think, I mean, there's not that many on that Peeping Tom record, so... I don't know. Yeah, that's his thing, though. So <laughs> we'll see. Do you and Buzz write like regularly together? How does how does the creative partnership between you two function? It, uh, most of the time, he just has stuff, and he'll come in with stuff. You know, kind of. He's. I think he's constantly playing and writing, and just has you know a huge catalog of riffs on on tape or whatever. There's never a shortage of songs to work on. That's for sure. You know, even this new the working with god record i this is all of a sudden we just had all these songs you know <laughs> i co-wrote one which one i was saying earlier uh brian the horse face doom great track i did the music he did the words yeah great thanks. track yeah <laughs> that's i mean i think my that's probably my second favorite song on the whole record my favorite one um is the great good place i love that. yeah that's mine too is it yeah amazing track mm -hmm. thanks yeah I didn't write that one, but that's my favorite song. <laughs> well, the horse face goon is also a damn good. One. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah, it's a fun record, man. And it's it's just so refreshing to have a band like the Melvins out there after all these years and all these releases still doing it. I've got a list here, Dale, if you're interested in this. I've got a list of Buzz's top 10 Melvins records. Would you like to uh, hear what they okay. are out of interest? In Let me see if I can, should I guess? Yeah, go on. Let's do that. Okay, Bullhead. Uh, yeah, Bullhead is one of them. Yep. Um, eggnog. Eggnog is another. Um, prick. Uh, let me double check on prick. No, no pricks. So two oh, out of really? three. Wow. No. <laughs> um, Colossus of Destiny. Colossus of Destiny. Uh, oh, you know, no. Not in there. Wow. No, no, sorry, it is. Colossus huh. is. Colossus is in there. Okay. Three out of four. Okay. So, okay. Uh, um, um, let me think. Um, uh, House Zombie Takeover? No. Four out of six. Wow. Okay. I'm losing. Um, <laughs> go ahead. Tell me. Okay. Ahead, so we've. Me. 
We have Pigs of the Roman Empire is on there. Oh, of course. I was going to say that next. Hold It In is on there. Your Butthole Surface Collaboration. Uh, Nude with Boots yeah, yep. is on there. Uh, Freak Puke is on there with Trevor cool. Dunn. Stoner Witch. Uh-huh. Base is loaded. And that's it. That's the 10. Yeah. Any surprises oh, in there for you that you thought you wouldn't that's have put good. down in his top 10? Oh, I'm not sure. Probably not. What about you? Are there <laughs> any, I thought Prick would be in there for sure. Are there any emissions from that that would be in your top 10 or top 5? Oh, maybe Senile Animal would be in there for sure. I thought that was a good one and, and you know, it's like completely different. Um, especially at that point with our band and, you know, how things uh um yeah you know it was it was uh 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 uh, us reinventing ourselves i guess having you know two drummers and and um and then also having jared in the band um i don't know i always said stag i always felt like that was the one where it really hit but i'm not sure how i feel anymore you know (laughs) i was reading an interview with buzz he said he thought that that was his um favorite and that was the best of the major trilogy stag yeah yeah, I think so. I, I mean, I really thought too, like, I thought they were going to love it. You know, I was like, so I'm like, oh, there's songs in here that I think, you know, I mean, probably as commercial sounding as we'll ever get, you know, um, but they just were confused by it. You know, like I said, that's because of the change the in personnel. Yeah. And just not really knowing like what it was, you know, like, I mean, is it, it, you know, like grunge is kind of now past. Um, and it's not like heavy metal. It's you know, I just didn't know. I just didn't know. <laughs> do you <laughs> do you and Buzz socialize outside of music? Because you've obviously been playing together for so oh, yeah. long now. Um, are you bros? Are you very very tight? Yeah, we hang out. Um, we. Uh, um, I just went out. He he just uh, uh, um, got a new place in Tucson, Arizona. And I'm nice. going to check it out. And um, yeah, we'll do we'll do other stuff outside of the band. You know, um, golf. Golf's a big one. Golf's a big one for everybody right now because that's all you can do outside here. Yeah, it's easy to distance when tennis <laughs> and so golf are like the two sports you can play in distance fairly easily, can't you? Yep, that's and that's the the two that you're you're officially allowed to do. So it's funny because like, you know, I mean, we've been golfing for a while but now since everybody's home like you can't get you can't get on the golf course it's crazy yeah what else is going on so the solo records out let's talk about that because i love the album ratatatat um your second right. one the first one as well people should definitely check out what's the the fickle finger of of what fate fickle fate. finger of fate fickle yes. finger of fate that was what 2018 yeah. a few years ago uh yeah or 17 yeah 18 i can't remember <laughs> two incredible records do you write and play oh, everything do you write and play everything how does how does it work uh i write everything except well there's a couple of co-written songs um on the new record there's a song co-written with toshi kasai who's melvin's longtime engineer um he also plays in my live band dale crover band and um I engineered the record had quite a bit to do with it. Played a lot of the keyboards. Um, Steve McDonald played pretty much all the bass on the record. 
And you're uh, in Red Cross handing, as well now, Handing right? it over to him and having him do. And I'm, yeah, it's all incestuous. <laughs> so, uh, um, and then, yeah, so I made that first record, Pickle Finger of Fate. And after it came out, I was like, you know, it'd be really fun to play this stuff live. I should try to put the, put a band together. And so I did. And Steve offered to play. And Toshi and I have played together before. Um, so I knew he'd do it. And then um, I got this this girl I know plays drums. Um, she was looking for a gig and I thought she'd be perfect. Her name's Mindy Jorgensen. She plays That's a little right, bit Dave. on the new record. But I, 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 I yeah, I, I do a tiny bit of the, uh, I, I do, I do the, some of the majority of the drumming. But she's on there, and she's also she plays other instruments as well. So, um, yeah, our plan was going to be to uh, hopefully tour, you know, but uh, didn't happen, you know. But uh, what we did do recently is um, I don't know if you caught the Melvin's TV special, Valentine's Day special. Yeah, I like the way you guys are tackling that because I've been chatting to a few bands in the UK about creative ideas that I've had to collaborate because I don't think you can just do four guys or five guys or whatever on a stage playing to, you know, an empty room. It needs to be like a TV show. It needs, there needs to be a theme or a format exactly. or a concept that you can adapt over time and repeat. And, you know, cause if you just do one show, that's kind of it then, isn't it? You can't then go, Oh, we're now going to play again. The sort of same thing. So I love that you've yeah. taken that approach to it where there's you know like interview elements and yeah it's very cool very yeah. melvin's as well right i mean yeah it's kind of a you know an experiment for us to see how this works see if, if it'll work but yeah we, we realized that you know once you do one you can't really do another and um that's what we're like well let's do five songs and we'll do it cheap five bucks to see if you know if people will go for that and make it like like we're big i'm a big fan of uh uh, music Laden, the German TV show. Um, the earlier version was called Live at the Beat Club. You probably know it. It's the one where Sabbath is on there and they're playing Paranoid and they're playing Orange Amps and and they got the weird graphics behind them. They probably didn't normally play Orange Amps. Those were the studio's backlines. But now because of that video, every stoner rock band in the world plays Orange Amps. You know? <laughs> All thanks to Music Laden. So we wanted it to be like that that kind of thing live, but then make it really crazy looking with the with the green screen stuff. And then yeah, do some interviews, do some goofy stuff. People really like dumb. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I've noticed like whenever we'll post like a picture on Instagram or whatever, if it, if it and good thing we have a stupid sense of humor because it just seems like the dumber something is, the more people just love it, you know. So the interview stuff's kind of like that. And, and you know, us filming goofy stuff or whatever as well, you know. <laughs> well, Buzz is one of my so, favorite people to follow on Instagram because he's a great photographer. He's got right. a cool eye. Yeah. And he takes yeah. really, I love the pictures. He's always posting Dale Crover shots. And uh, yeah, he's just got a cool, yeah, eye. And also that humor comes across. And I think it comes obviously comes across in the music. It's there on the new record. So it's still yeah. there after all these years. And it's still enjoyable i love that side no, of the thanks. melvins because it just shows you don't take yourself too seriously because you know you obviously are sort of revered as this you know very underground kind of cult cool band 
and some bands who fall into that category can i think get a little bit too cool for school and you know take themselves a bit seriously whereas you guys have always had a very self-deprecating humble kind of you know this is a goof to us yeah we take music seriously but we're here to have a good time too yeah i mean you know the band is called the melvins yeah (laughs) (laughs) says it right there (laughs) you know what was the story with that? Wasn't it some teacher or something or some like local community figure? It, it was Buzz used to work at a grocery store and he was the, one of the older employees that worked there. Um, he wasn't really the boss, but, you know, he was the older guy that would always be like, you guys quit goofing off. Type of guy. <laughs> yeah. So, and um, his real name was Melvin, but he went by Pete and uh, his son worked there. And they said whenever his son got pissed off at him, he would go, okay, Melvin. And so uh, when the when they're trying to think of band names, one of their uh, one of their fellow employees was like, you should call it the Melvins. They laughed about it. <laughs> and then, of course, you know. And that's kind it's, of been the way things have been ever since. You it's know? perfect. Come up with some, really, some idea where you're just like, oh, yeah, that's really funny. You know? Oh, we could do that, you know. Hey, how about we play every state in in the uh, in the country and Washington D.C. fifty one shows in fifty one days? We could do that. Ah, right? Yeah, ha ha ha. Oh, and then it happened. Yeah. Yeah. We're really good at making goofy ideas come true. Let me ask you this: as the final question, Dale, is any idea too ridiculous or stupid for the Melvins? Has anything ever been presented to the band, put on the table, and someone's gone, "Nope, no way." So far, no. <laughs> um, no, I don't think there's. You know, I can't think of anything where it'd be like, "No." I mean, no, we're pretty much game for anything. <laughs> yeah, that's why we love yeah. the Melvins. Yeah, right on. Thanks. Dude, this has been amazing. Thank you so much for your time. Uh, thank you so right much on. for your stories and thank you so much for your music. Again, my apologies for, for being tardy. Not at all. Not at all. It was well worth <laughs> the wait, my friend. It was well worth the wait. Excellent. Thank you. Bye-bye. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.